Good morning, everybody. It's good to be back. I was on vacation last week, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But it was a little bit of March Madness, so I don't know if you're into March Madness. I mean, first of all, it was madness that we went to sunny desert area, and it was 65 degrees here, and then I got back, and there's two inches of snow on the ground yesterday. I was a little bit sad about that. Um, Some of you I know are sad that Downton Abbey is done couple weeks ago, and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with my Sunday nights? And unless you're a basketball fan, you probably had to watch political debates. I mean, I tried to, and my first thought was, dear Lord, (laughs) these are the best of the best that we have put up to lead our country. Seriously, Lord, we need you. But um, I kind of thought as people were standing up in these different debates, like, I wonder what their mama would say about them. You know, and I wonder what their best friends would say. And do their actions really line up with their words? Because every time a political season comes up, I want to investigate the evidence. I want to look at these candidates with, you know, the best possible lens. But I am really guarded because I don't want to get my hopes up. I'll just be honest. And maybe you come into Easter and you look at Jesus and you go, I don't want to get my hopes up. I mean, I know we're supposed to get our hopes up with Jesus because it's Easter and he has risen, but I don't know if we really understand what it means to rise from the dead. And today, I just invite you, as we look at the words of God, to investigate Jesus and to see why he is worth putting our hopes up and in him. So, Last week, I was gone, but Brian, uh, who works with our students and our setup, he spoke on what the news is and why it's good. And he talked about how when Jesus came in proclaiming this news in the first century, that God really woke, that God hadn't spoken in 400 years. And so this first prophet, John the Baptist, came on the scene and declares that the kingdom of God is coming. And when Jesus comes in, he says, the kingdom of God is here. And he did that by speaking with authority and healing people of illness and disease and, and even bringing people back from the dead. And then he says that he has power over forces of nature and demonstrates that. He has powers over forces of evil in the spiritual realm, and he demonstrates that. And all through the way, as these miracles are happening, the readers of the day when Mark wrote, and when the writers wrote, and the people of that day were saying, who is Jesus? Is he really the hero that we can put our hope in? And that's exactly what the writers want us to think about even today. The, the middle of Mark is this point where Jesus says to his disciples as they're going through the countryside, they've gone through Jerusalem, they've gone up to Galilee where many Jews were, and then they go into this region called Caesarea Philippi, north of that. And Jesus says, hey, who do the people say I am? And the disciples are like, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say some of the prophets. And Jesus says, but who do you say I am? Imagine if Jesus asked you that today. Who do you say I am? Would you be hesitant to answer? If you've read the stories, any of them, I mean, I like Mark because it's succinct, it's action-packed, um, and he, he just gets right to the point. So if, you're, if you have trouble reading, Mark's a great, great gospel to read. And as you look at the story of Mark, the disciples seem a little bit hesitant to answer, and yet, in the story, Jesus has fed thousands of people, not just physically, 
but spiritually. Crowds have stayed for three days without food to listen to the teachings of God. Think about that. He hasn't just healed physically. He hasn't just fed physically. He's healed physically. He's also healed spiritually. And in the story, Jesus that uh, the writer gives, Jesus has given people who are blind the ability to see. And again, I would say, not just physically, but spiritually. And it's all leading to this point for people to say, who do they say I am? And the disciples might be hesitant to answer, but Peter's not. Peter says what everybody else is probably thinking. We might know if it's what Peter's thinking, but Peter talks before he thinks, so we're not sure. That's why I like him. Peter's, Peter just says, you're the, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Now, Messiah means God's anointed one, or God's chosen one. It really means God's appointed person. It's, it's the hero of the story, or the heroine of the story, if you will. It's the one who leads others to freedom. That's who they're saying Jesus is, and that's what they're thinking he is. And if you think about your heroes, really, truly, think about your heroes. How do you picture them? What do they look like? A lot of us might say, heroes have to be strong, stoic, and probably in some rubberized spandex. I mean, go DC and Marvel. For 15 years, they've been making superhero movies. We keep going to them because we're desperate for heroes. I don't know if we think they look like Hillary Clinton or Ted Cruz or Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump. I don't know. But then I wonder, well, where would our heroes be? And what would they be doing? Would our heroes be in places like Syria where there's thousands that are trapped in oppression Because that kind of hero, that kind of hero would need to be big and strong and need to be able to protect people and bring them to safety. I was in Vegas. That that place needs a completely different kind of hero. That hero would need to be very, very smooth talking and very visually appealing because that those people are trapped in a whole different way. But they need to be brought to safety too. Where would your hero be? What would they look like? And what would they do? As we come to Palm Sunday, we're going to read a different story than is normally read on Palm Sunday. But in the same vein of Palm Sunday, of a hero coming in on a donkey, not a, a horse, not a white stallion, as someone who's willing to be peaceful instead of willing to conquer, The story is in that vein of someone who's going to flip the expectations. Their vision of Jesus is going to be expanded, and I think it's what he wants us to have for each of us today. So if you have your Bible or a device with your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 9. You might know this story as the transfiguration, and you might wonder what that means. I did too. Jesus gives his disciples, or at least a few of them, a bigger picture of who he is. Mark chapter 9, verse 2 says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up to a high mountain where they were all alone. 
There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could ever bleach them, and there appeared with him before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's so good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters for you, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from a cloud, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they, were no, long, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Even asked him, what did the teachers of the law say that Elijah, why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus said, to be sure, Elijah does come first, and he restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they've wished, just as it was written about him. This is God's word, and it might be easy easier for some at least, to dismiss this as, as kind of a hallucination. Like, yeah, this couldn't have happened the way it says. Others might dismiss it or at least kind of put it in the realm of mystical and strange, maybe not true. But I think if we step into the story and ask some questions, and then we step back from the story and think about it in terms of where God has gone and where he's going, we will see just the impact of Jesus as Messiah and what it means for our life, not just today, what it meant yesterday, and what it means for tomorrow. So let's step in and ask some questions. As you hear this story, are there some questions that you have that come to mind? You can shout them out if you want to, because together we can probably come up with better things than I can do by myself. Anybody have questions as they, as they hear this story, as they've read this story before? No, I, I know it all. How about why six days? What does it mean after six days? Or why did Peter, James, and John go? Like, where's Andrew? Andrew's Peter's brother. Andrew's the one who brought him to Jesus. Andrew's always left out. He's like the fourth wheel. Fifth, if you count Jesus. Like, I feel bad for him. Or what, what are Elijah and Moses doing there? Why are they up on a mountain? These are just some of the questions that I have when I listen to this story. And, and how in the world is Peter going to build these shelters? Is there a Lowe's there? Well, let's start with this after six days. So if it's after six days, then what day would it be? The seventh day. What happens on the seventh day? God rests, which means that Jesus doesn't have to do any work when he's transfigured. So transfigured means to be transformed or just means to appear different. So Jesus appears different, but it's no work for him to do this. I would say he just becomes more of who he already is. Do you ever have moments in your life where you can be more of who you already are? 
Like for me, it was when I turned 30, all of a sudden I'm like, I guess I'm kind of okay with myself. And it took five more years before I could say that to people, but there was a big moment where I became more of who I already was. I think that's part of what's going on in this story. And it's almost like he has this angelic appearance. That's what you're supposed to recall with the clothes becoming dazzling white because angels always have that happen. It's like this heavenly body in the midst of his earthly body. I think that's what's going on in part of this. There's, I don't, I don't know why there's three closest disciples that get to go, but I know that three shows up a lot in the story. There's three disciples, there's three shelters, and there's three holy people, Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. I think there might be something to that, because whenever there's three going on, day three, it means like something new is about to happen. New seeds are going to spring forth life. New life is going to come. Something different is going to spring forth. We can't quite see it, but we're almost there. So maybe that's what's going on with the idea of three disciples. But Moses and Elijah, whew, we really got to step in for that one, because Moses was the one who brought God's law, who received the law of God from God and brought it to the people. But I would contend that in addition, Moses is a type of Messiah. Think about the people of God. They're trapped in Egypt. They're slaves in Egypt. They're imprisoned. They're oppressed. And they need to be led to freedom. And God appoints Moses to lead the people out of freedom. Sounds like a job description of a Messiah. And people call this the Exodus, the first Exodus. So there's Moses bringing the law. Well, then there's Elijah. He's a prophet as well. He's a messenger of God as well. And Elijah warns God's people of a coming time where they will go into exile, where they will be imprisoned or oppressed because they are not following God faithfully. They're not being a blessing and bringing hope to other people. And so he says that God will put them in oppression. But he also speaks, like many of the prophets, a time where a second exodus will happen. And God will send someone to free people from oppression to that freedom. And and, and, uh, the book of Isaiah actually calls this person Cyrus, King Cyrus. Not, not Not a faithful Jewish follower, but the last book of the Jewish Bible is Second Corinthians or Second um, Chronicles, and it actually says, "I Cyrus let the people go home, let them return home to rebuild their lives, to rebuild their temple, and to go back to their relationship with God." And uh, Isaiah forty-five says, "Cyrus is a Messiah." So there's a first Exodus with Moses. There's a second Exodus that Elijah talks about, and if we go a little bit further. Moses and Elijah are two people, the only two people in the Old Testament, that don't die a normal death. You know, old, surrounded by friends, or even sick and surrounded by family. Elijah is carried away in a chariot of fire, whatever that means, but that's kind of cool. And, and Moses, he dies at the mouth of God. And neither of them, neither of these people have graves. They don't know where they were laid. Legends grew up about them. Think about that. Especially when the fact that if you look up what Exodus means as you study the language, it means departure. So Moses and Elijah, who both departed in very unique ways, are talking to Jesus, 
who I would say is going to depart in a very unique way. Is it, is it possible, if the Bible is this epic story of, that's so big that, that we have to put ourselves in it, not just for the Bible to make sense, but for our lives to make sense, then is it possible that the Bible is the story of what's happened, what's still happening, and what will happen, that, that Moses and Elijah, who both departed in unique ways, are talking to Jesus about his departure, about another exodus. Now, let's just think about that for a minute, because if that's a little crazy for you, it was a little crazy for me. So I did some studying to make sure I wasn't out in left field, and there are actually scholars that say that, Mo- that Jesus goes up on the mountain to complete the law and the prophets. Now think about Moses. Moses signifies the law. And Elijah is one of the prophets. He could be signified as a prophet. So, so Moses and Elijah are symbolizing the law and the prophets. And Jesus goes up on the mountain, not just to complete the law and the prophets, but to completely fulfill and do what all the law and the prophets predict. That the Messiah would go down the mountain to down into the valley, to the place where demons shriek and sufferers weep, to go down and to be rejected and to suffer and to die. Valley. Now, where does that come from? Look at the next story. Mark says, my page flipped excitement. Mark says, when they came down to the other disciples, Luke tells us it's the next day. So that would be which day? If you're following along? It's after the seventh day now. The eighth day. And we would call the eighth day Monday. Yeah, it's a Monday. Does it ever feel like you go back down to the valley on Monday? (laughs) Yeah, well, Jesus goes back down to the other disciples, and there's a crowd there. The crowd's excited to see him. They're, they're, they're praising him, which is kind of ironic because the three disciples that got to see Jesus on the mountain were frightened of him. But there's drama in the camp as they come down because there's a boy that's with his father. The father brings the boy who is demon-possessed. He's imprisoned literally in his own body, and the disciples can't free him. This demon throws the boy down on the ground. He foams at the mouth. His body gets rigid. He convulses. And, and we might, you know, modern scientific people might look at this. The dad says it's happened from birth. Oh, this is a seizure. Well, it happens immediately when Jesus approaches the boy. Maybe it's more spiritual than we think. And Jesus sees the boy, and the dad says, if you can do anything, would you, would you just take pity on us and help us? Which I find great comfort in. Because I think we're all trapped in some way. And we all secretly, I think, say, you know, Jesus, if you could help me with this, that would be great. But we're really not sure if he's going to help us. Maybe we should have the response that the father does. I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. I got to flip-flop a little bit. Maybe, maybe those political seasons not too far off. I do believe, help me with my unbelief. I want to believe, but I, I don't quite 
have it. And Jesus says that's enough for him. And he frees the boy, and he casts the demon out, says never to return to him. And the spirit shrieks and convulses violently and comes out of the boy. And, and get this, I, I missed this three times, but the boy looks so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Remember what Peter, James, and John were talking about as they went down the mountain? What does it mean to rise from the dead? I think Jesus is saying, this is what it means to rise from the dead. To be trapped in your own body, to not even know what it means to suffer, to be, to be filled with the Mondays, and to, to get healed and yet feel like you're not yet alive. And it needs Jesus, you and I need Jesus to pick us up and raise us up and bring us back to our Father. Because that's exactly what Jesus does. He frees the boy, body and soul, physically and spiritually, and reunites him with his Heavenly Father. If the Bible is this epic story of what's happened, what is happening, and what will happen, then I think Jesus is still leading an exodus. It's a new exodus. It's one that people get to move from oppression and into freedom. It's not just one where the nation of Israel will get to be rescued from this slavery in Egypt, but it's one where all people, regardless of their ethnic heritage, regardless even of their religious affiliation, have the opportunity to be rescued from the slavery of sin and brought into freedom. Because that's what Messiahs do. Have you ever had moments where you've left oppression and you've moved to freedom? where you get up on the mountain and your vision of Jesus is expanded in a way that you can't even fathom. It's almost frightening. If you have, the very next thing that Jesus will ask you to do is to walk back down the mountain, go into the valley, grab somebody's hand, and lead them from oppression to freedom. And that's hard work we would rather stay on the mountain. Keep getting a better picture of Jesus. Pitch a tent, build a shelter. Let's just hang out up here, Jesus. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. That would be awesome. We'll find that Lowe's. See, it doesn't really matter if it's a shelter or a synagogue or a sanctuary or a Sunday school class, Christians especially love to have their picture of Jesus expanded. We love to be on the mountain. I spent a lot of time in youth ministry, and we would even call it these mountaintop moments where we'd go on mission trips, and we'd see God in a new way, where we'd experience the closeness. We'd be like, oh, we want to be here forever. Same thing on a retreat or a camp. I even had a camp speaker say, this is a mountaintop moment, you guys. We just need to stay on the mountain yeah, but we got to go back to our homes and go back to our schools because there's always a Monday that follows a Sunday. We can't stay on the mountain. Jesus doesn't stay on the mountain. Yes, he goes to the mountain to prepare to go to the valley, to prepare where the law and the prophets predict that the Messiah is supposed to go, down into the valley, 
to lead others out of oppression because they can't do it by themselves. Jesus even says this kind can only come out through prayer, through physical and spiritual transformation. Mondays, they're almost like a hangover. You don't even have to be in Vegas. You have regret hanging over you. You have pain hanging over you. You have problems too big hanging over you. This is what Jesus comes to do, to lead you out of oppression and into freedom. Because it's a new exodus and he's the Messiah. And he knows the only way to free you and I from the prison of sin is to pay for the price of sin. So I said I was in Vegas. My daughter had a competition, and we tried to do P- Vegas PG, which is pretty challenging. Um, but we, we were fairly successful. So I'm in a conversation with one of the locals, and... Um, we got to talking about driving because it's a little crazy out there. And she says, you know, do you know how many DUIs happen every month in the city of Las Vegas? Just the city of Las Vegas. Not the county, not the state of Nevada, just the city. 700. 700 DUIs a month. That's crazy. So let's just say you're in Vegas, and God forbid you got a DUI. Thankfully, no one was killed, just your dignity. And, and you have to go to court, and you know the fine is too big. In fact, it's so big that you know you can't pay it, and you're going to end up in prison for a long time. So you go to court, and out comes the court person, the judge, walks up on the stand, it's Judge Judy. No, it's not. It's your mom. Your mother is the judge probably the person who loves you more than anyone else loves you in the entire world. And she gets up on that stand and she listens to the case and now she's in a real dilemma because she knows you're guilty. And if she just dismisses the case, she's totally unjust. But if she administers justice, She knows that she's going to be separated from you for a long, long time. So what does she do? I think, after she hears the case, she says, you're guilty. And she reads your sentence. You might even want to stare her down. You might even want to say something like, how could you do that? I thought you loved me. But immediately, she steps down from the court, from her seat. She takes off her judge's robe. She walks over to you. She takes her checkbook out. She writes a check for the entire amount of the debt. She says, I do love you so much that I want to pay for this debt because I know that I don't want to be separated from you. Would you accept it and would you come home with me? Friends, that's what Jesus claims to have done for each and every one of us. 
And yet, he gives us a choice. He lets us accept that or not accept it. As you think about this story and these stories and what God has done, what he's doing, and what he will do, what do you say yes to today? I would say that God wants us to say two yeses. He wants us to say yes to going up on the mountain. To have moments like Sunday where where our vision of Jesus is expanded. And it's not just here. Anytime you open God's word, it can be a moment where Jesus' vision, your picture of him can be expanded. And he wants us to go up on the mountain and have our vision of Jesus expanded. Every time I go to God's word with an open mind and open eyes and asking for Jesus to enlarge the picture, oh my gosh, he blows me away. God wants us to do that. Say yes to these mountaintop moments. And say no to people that think they have Jesus all figured out. And say no to yourself thinking you have Jesus all figured out. But he doesn't just want us to stay up on the mountain. We got to say yes to going down the mountain. Because Jesus isn't just this mighty Messiah. He's not just this superhero. He's not just the cosmic king of the universe. He's the one who will be Messiah, who will suffer, who will be rejected, and who will die for us to give us life because that's what Messiahs do. They bring us out of oppression and into freedom. And so we've got to say yes to going down the mountain and to living out on Monday what we feel and what we have and what we experience on a Sunday. And we've got to go into people's lives and we've got to grab their hand knowing we're surrounded by Jesus. We don't do this alone. We are surrounded by Jesus. We can't do it in our power. Jesus even says this can only come out through prayer. And we grab their hand. We say we're walking towards freedom. We're getting out of oppression and we're going towards freedom because that's what Messiahs do. That's what my Messiah is doing. And I got to say yes to going down in the valley. Even though it's hard work. Even though my hands are going to get dirty. Even though I might hear stuff that's dirty. Even though I might be... just sitting in a smoke-infested casino and seeing someone who's never experienced the love of Christ, those are also amazing moments. We gotta say yes to the valley. Will you see Jesus in a new way today? Up on the mountain. But will you also take his hand and go down the mountain? Because there's somebody that needs freedom. And they just don't know how to get it on their own. But Jesus will be with you. He'll blow their mind too. It's a good, good day, even if it's hard. To take a moment and just consider those yeses. To go up on the mountain and have your vision expanded, I think this is what it means to be people of restoration. We're people that that bring people to Jesus. We build a hope by expanding our view of Jesus and we rebuild lives. We restore people by bringing them from oppression and into freedom. We don't do it alone, but this is why God said, start restoration. This is what you're invited to. Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you that you go to places that we don't want to go to that you go down from places that we, when we want to stay somewhere else. I pray that your word, God, would reverberate in our hearts this week, 
that the picture of you riding in to Jerusalem on this donkey would not be lost on Monday. That this picture of you transfigured in dazzling white would also not be lost on Monday. But when we have the Mondays and go to the Mondays and have that regret hanging over us or pain hanging over us or see someone else with that pain, we would grab their hand. We lead them out of oppression and into freedom. God, would you lead us out of oppression and into freedom? Holy Spirit, would you bring to mind anything in our lives that's keeping us from you? Would we confess it? Would we say, I believe, help me with my unbelief. Thank you that you paid it all, Jesus. And all, all to you we owe so that we could be united with our Heavenly Father. We love you. Would you go today remembering who you are, that you are people of restoration. You are people that bring hope because your vision of Jesus has been expanded and you love him and you are learning from him. And would you go knowing that you restore lives, that you don't do it on your own, that you just bring others out of oppression into freedom because that's what we're all doing. And remember whose you are. That you are the one who has been bought with the blood of Jesus. The one who has paid every debt that you and I can't pay. And would you walk in that freedom today? And if you're not sure how to do that, we would love to pray with you. If you have something to share, a victory, we would love to celebrate with you. Join us back in the prayer cove and on your way out, make a new friend. Hope to see you on Easter and Good Friday. Have a great Sunday.